So Genesis 1 and 28 says this. It says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that over these moments we have together that you would speak clearly to us. Thank you for your presence that we already feel in this room. Thank you for the life change that has already started to happen in worship. Thank you that you brought us into this place today. We are grateful, so grateful, that we're determined to hear everything that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. I need you to maybe tell your neighbor, like, today is one of those days I need to take notes. So leave me alone. Don't show me any TikToks right now. I don't have time for that. I need to focus on what God is speaking to me. My son was showing me a, a YouTube clip yesterday that just had me laughing so much. And so I understand that those things are, are very difficult to not be distracted by. But I'm just asking you to give me a minute because this might... This, was, this, this message is going to take your brain to, to really fully engage what I'm trying to say to you. In, in the Bible, uh, there, is a, there is a story where Jesus meets his disciples and he is asking them to launch out into the deep. He is telling them that I want to do something in your life, but you are too shallow. <laughs> I'm going to let that just sit and marinate for a minute because I think, I think there are some things that God is trying to do for us, but they are, they are out deeper. And uh, sometimes we're willing to stay in the shallow end, and God is saying, I'm really calling you out into the deep end. And so I want you to go to Luke chapter 5. I want to read this story to you, and then I want to I teach you some things today because I think there are some... I want to talk to you, and it might take a couple of weeks, but I want to talk to you about some hindrances to being... Fruitful. I'm talking to you also about ways to be fruitful, to multiply, to follow this incredible command that God has given us to subdue, to fill the earth. And I, I want to I teach you this lesson today on, on what I believe is something that is causing us uh, to have a lack of fruit in our life. So Luke chapter 5 says this. It says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little bit from land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word... I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And when they came and filled the boats, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all of it and they followed him. I love how this begins with Jesus giving them a word. He tells them. 
take out your boat, launch it out into the deep. You've been fishing too shallow. And I love Peter's response. Peter says, hey, we've been fishing all night. We're professionals, but nevertheless, at your word. The Bible teaches us that God's word is like a seed. God's word is like a seed. What I talked to you about a couple weeks ago was I was telling you that most of the time when God gives us something, he doesn't give it to us in its fully mature form. He gives it to us in seed form. He doesn't give us trees, he gives us seeds. And if he gives us a tree, he intends for us to build something with it, to make something of it, not to just look at it and be like, hey, that's a pretty tree. So there is an intention when God gives something that what he gives you is not what he eventually wants you to have. It's not what he always wants to be. What, what he wants it to be. In other words, when he gave them the garden in Genesis, he tells them, fill it up. It's not what I want it to be. I'm giving it to you in this form, but I want you to do something with it. I want you to fill it up. I want you to reign in it. I want you to multiply in it. I want you to be fruitful in it. And so when God gives us something, very often, I would say almost all of the time, he gives it to us in seed form. In other words, Mary didn't get a baby first. Mary got a word first. And she said, yes, she was willing and obedient to the word. And the baby came because of her obedience and willingness to receive the word. In Luke 8, Jesus actually compares his word to a seed. A seed. And the issue is not the seed in Luke 8. The issue is the ground. The issue, matter of fact, has never been the seed. Our issue has never been the ability of God's word. Our issue has always been our ability to receive God's word. Can somebody in the room say amen? 1 Peter 1 and 23 says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So remember, God doesn't give you things. He gives you a word. God doesn't give you stuff. He gives you a word. (laughs) See, listen to me. The word about peace comes before peace comes. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding. He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think very often we read Philippians 4, 7 without reading Philippians 4, 6. And we talk about a peace of God that passes all understanding as if it's some construct that just is out there in some weird form. And we're just supposed to believe on it and it falls on us. But God says, no, that's not how it happens. If you want peace that passes all understanding, then you have to stop being anxious all the time. And you have to bring all your requests to me. And you have to pray about it. You have to seek my face about it. Come on, somebody. So there is a word about peace before peace comes. There is a word that comes before the blessing. Right. Deuteronomy 28 and two says all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord, your God. (laughs) Isaiah one and 19 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. So remember, God doesn't give us things. He gives us a word, a word that we must obey. And Peter's response is, even though I am a professional at this, nevertheless, at your word. Why is this important? Because his word is better than my experience. My experiences do not dictate the word of God. God's word dictates my experience. 
My experience doesn't inform the word of God. God's word informs my experience. And my greatest issue is, listen to me, is not the weakness of my inability. It is the pride of my ability. So most, here's, here's, here's my issue with, with church these days, is that, that most people come to church and, and their expectation of church is that I'm going to come to church and the pastor is going to tell me what to do and the pastor is going to show me, uh, you know, the scripture and he's going to reveal to me the word of God and then I'm going to take that word of God and I'm going to apply that word of God. Well, here's my issue with that being your only experience in church. Is that, is that if you're not careful, you will be like most believers who don't take the time to be biblically literate. So whatever sounds good, they assume is good. And so very often we'll, we'll, go, to, we'll go to church and we'll hear something and we'll be like, yeah. And, and we're excited about it because it seemed like everybody else was excited about it. And it sounded good and it, and it fit into what I was thinking and what I was, what I was already imagining. And so I, I come very often. That's why we like to go to churches that don't challenge us. That's why sometimes people can't stay here because I'll mess with your theology just a little bit. Because you, you've, got to go to, you've got to go to a place that isn't just an echo chamber for your feelings and your emotions. You need to go to a place that's going to challenge you, that's going to make you sit back and say, okay, I need to actually study the word of God to show myself approved. So that I am literate enough to know that even though it sounds good, maybe it isn't biblically sound. Amen. This is good. And this is why this is this is important for me. And I've, I've told you this many times. I am a human being. I can make errors in perception. We all come to the word of God with a certain life experience and certain, you know, perception of the way things work. And we all filter the word of God through our own lens. We see it differently. And so we have to make sure that we are not we are not allowing ourselves to kind of coddle ourselves with the word of God, but to challenge ourselves with the word of God. To not go to the, if the word, if you, if you constantly read the Bible and the Bible agrees with you, then you're not reading the Bible correctly. Okay. <laughs> so, and this is, this is what concerns me is that most people in Christianity live on the level of their education, but God has a level that he's calling us up to. It's called revelation. So Acts 5 and 32, again, it says we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who Obey him. Now, this is important because there, there is this, uh, there's the idea of faith, and then there's what faith actually is. So, so in other words, um, someone could tell you, you know, all you got to do is believe. Now, that sounds cool, but if, if you don't have a proper biblical understanding you'll think that belief is just some mental ascent to a higher power but nowhere in scripture is belief just a mental ascent faith is never faith never stands alone faith is always in action that's why James would say faith without works is dead so it's it's not enough for me to you to come to church and me to say have faith that's an incomplete word you cannot build your life on an incomplete word. 
Because I need to also tell you that faith doesn't look like just some mental ascent to a higher power or just some like, I believe, I believe, I believe, tap my heels together, I believe. <laughs> faith is an action. So James says faith without works is actually a dead faith. It's not legitimate faith. It's not real faith. When you read in, in Hebrews about all of the, 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 the people who were given credit because of their faith, it, it, by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham believed God and, and he stepped out. And he, so so every, every time you see and that person had faith, that faith also has a corresponding action. So you cannot say, I have faith in God and it not change your life and it not change your behavior and it not change your actions because that is not legitimate faith. Amen. So even, even when it comes to relationships, there is a word about relationships that comes before a healthy God-honoring relationship. The Corinthians tells us, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And some of us are now, we're on the other end of a bad relationship. And we're like, why didn't God keep me from that heartbreak? Oh man, he tried to. You just rejected his word. And when you reject his word, you reject the protection that comes along with that word. People don't want to hear that today. They, they want to hear that, that, that God's going to protect me even when I'm rebellious. Even when I'm running and doing my own thing. You have to understand that there are some things that you reject from God when you reject his word. When he says don't be unequally yoked, that's God trying to protect you. It's the same thing we do with our parents when they try to say, hey, don't be out after 11 p.m. They're not trying to control your life. They're trying to protect your life. And I, we do the same thing with God. We do the same thing with God. It's like, save me, don't correct me. And when you reject his lordship, you reject his leadership. And by default, you reject what comes with his leadership. That's his protection. <sighs> okay. You, you, can, you, cannot, you cannot blame God, when you disobey God. All right. That's what we get a lot. That's, that's why it's like, it, that's why biblical literacy matters to me so much. That's why I, I don't want you to just come to word and hear my messages. I want you to take this word and consume it for yourself and know it for yourself. Because it, 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 it'll help you so much in life. It's so good. It's so life-giving. And I love this thought because Peter says, hey, we're pros. We've been doing this all night. We've been doing this our lifetime. As a matter of fact, we grew up in this. We have our own business. But he doesn't go, hey, we got this. He goes, nevertheless, at your word. Because here's the point. Whatever you are great at, God is better. <laughs> Whatever ocean you are feel, fishing in, he created it. Whatever your expertise is, God designed it. So if you're in business, God created the whole way that business works, the mindset behind business, the ideology behind business. 
And if you're like a pro at business and you, you, you've got an education in business and you don't invite God into that strength, then you are living on the level of your education, not on the level of revelation. So when, when God gives you a word, you have, to, you have to, before you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, to because remember, the Bible tells us it's not going to be by might, it's not going to be by power, it's not going to be by your own strength. It's going to be by my spirit, says the Lord. Even going back again to Mary, I don't know why I keep referencing Mary, I guess we're just off the heels of Christmas, but even, 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 even the angel says to Mary, he says, this, she says, how can this be since I've never been with a man? He says, the, oh, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. This is going to be by my spirit, but in order for my spirit to empower you, I need you to have a willingness to start and an obedience to follow through. Willingness. James says this about faith. He says that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. This is important for us to understand because God doesn't always test our faith with the size of an obstacle. He also tests our faith to see how willing we are, we are to wait. And you don't just need willingness to start. You need willingness to finish. And obedience. Obedience is interesting because he gives a word. But notice this. He, they don't just go, man, that's a good word. And just like sit on the, on the sand and like wait for some windfall to bring the fish in. They don't just wait for some check to come in the mail. Some job, some boss to just show up at their residence and offer them a job. There is a grittiness that needs to come to your faith. There, there is a there is there is a fight. Paul called it a fight of faith. There is there is a there is a part of faith that that doesn't just sit there and wait for stuff to come to you. It says, oh, he gave me a word. I'm going to act on his word. I'm going to get out into deeper waters. I'm going to drop the nets. Notice the fish don't just jump up into the boat either. They have to drop the nets. There is something to it. They cast the nets. Faith isn't a concept. It's an action. In the Old Testament, when the manna was coming out of heaven, the Bible says that the manna came out of heaven and it didn't fall in their mouths and it didn't fall in their tent. God said, you have to wake up every morning and you have to gather it. And I think sometimes we see miracles as stuff that just happens to us and just kind of knocks us off our feet or falls in our mouth or falls in our lap. And God said, no, most of the miracles I want to do in your life, you're going to have to gather them. I'm pouring it out, but it's not in your tent and it's not in your mouth. It's in your front lawn and you got to go gather it. I'm going to give you the miracle of marriage, but you got to work it. I'm going to open up this door and give you the job, but you have to, you're going to have to grind a little bit. You're going to have to show up early. You're going to have to stay a little late. You're going to have to put in the effort. I'll, I'll open up the door, but I'm going to need you to have the faith to, to work it. So it's like, hey, uh, God gave me a word. What was that word? He said, go. What are you doing? Waiting. <laughs> okay. And it's like, it's like, what's wrong with God? And God's like, 
I gave you a word you're not acting on. Oh, man. I love this thought. So they go out at, at his word. They drop the nets. They go deeper. And this is what I want to talk to you about here just for the next few minutes. It says, they, he, he said, go out deeper. In other words, he's like, there is, a, there is an area on the same body of water. I'm not asking you to go somewhere else. See, for God to do something new in your life, it doesn't always require that you go somewhere new. Sometimes it just means that you have to go deeper where you are. Maybe it's not that the place you're in is shallow. Maybe you are. And you refuse to go deeper. And you're waiting for somebody else to do for you what only you can do for you. Okay. <laughs> it's not, that's not popular. <laughs> Write a note about that and put an X on that thought. We'll just stay away from that next time. <laughs> So they go out, they obey. And, and in, even, even, even in their obedience. Watch this. The Bible says that the, the fish are so great that their boat starts to sink. So they call for their partners. The partners come out. All the boats start to sink. Without... The right capacity. Success will sink you. Deeper doesn't just require. A new level of understanding. About. Where. You should go. On the water. Deeper also requires. New nets. And so here's, here's my issue with most Christians is, is most Christians are not prepared for the thing they are praying for. And the thing about this is that I heard someone say one time, ignorance will always recycle pain in your life. It's fine to go out once and be like, man, we don't have the nets for this. But it's another thing to go out again. So I want to ask you today, are you prepared for the thing you've been praying for? You've been asking God to do it, but what if God actually did it? Do you have the capacity to receive it or will it sink you? Do you have the relationships necessary that you can call on to help you carry something that would destroy your life if you didn't have someone to lean on? And this is, I think, one of God's greatest heartbreaks about his people. Hosea 4 and 6 says, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Notice that he says, my people. My people. Belonging to God does not make you wise. Being God's kid does not make you smart. No more than being a doctor's kid makes you a doctor. I do not want to go into surgery and the doctor go, hey, today 
my, my 11-year-old son is going to step in for me. You know, I'm a doctor, so it just kind of rubs off, you know. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Luke 19, 41 through 42. There are two reasons Jesus cried in the New Testament. Jesus cried because of the death of a friend, and Jesus cried because of the ignorance of Israel. He said in Luke 19, 41 through 42, he said, If you had known the things that make for your peace, for now they are hidden from you. He said there was a time when you, you saw them, but you rejected them. And now that you want them, you can't see them. And I, I came to tell somebody today that, that there are some things that you better do while you can because there will come a day when you want to and you can't. I told you, you might want to write some of this down. And I think the thing that is so frustrating to our fruitfulness and our multiplication is our own ignorance. It's, it's, this, it's this unwillingness to say, God, I know I'm a pro at this, but nevertheless, at your word. Whatever you are a professional at has the potential to actually be your greatest weakness. Just ask David. David was a man of war, knowledgeable in, in, in war like no other king had been before him. Not only was he a man of war, but he was a man of strategy. He was a man of insight. He knew war inside and out. But David also used his understanding of war to eliminate Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Because he understood, I know war well enough that if I put this man in the front of the battle, he's going to die. And the thing that was his strength actually was used against him. Because very often we are, we are, we are more than willing to invite God into our weaknesses. But we are very, very... Very hesitant to invite God in our strengths. Because I've got this. I know how to do this. I've got the background for this. I've got the education for this. I've got the experience for this. And very, very seldom do we ask God to come into the areas of our strengths. And then our strengths end up being our weaknesses. It becomes a source of pride. And like I said earlier, it's, it's never the inability of our weakness. It's always the pride of our strength. And there has to be in you this desire, this hunger. Remember, even, even when I talked to you about the Old Testament and the manna and how they went out and gathered it. The Bible said there that you, he, he told him, he said, gather according to your hunger. And in, uh, John said in Revelation, he said, he said, I went up according to Revelation. And I just, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm concerned about is that there's no desire for Revelation. There's, there's no hunger for more of God. There's no hunger for more of, not, more of God's wisdom, more of God's ways. And we live in a culture that says, I know best. My feelings are king. I am the king of my world. Nobody can tell me what to do. 
everything from God's word is just a suggestion. It's not a command. When God's word is not a book of suggestions, it's a book of commands. And so I came to challenge somebody today. I feel like if you're not careful, you will live on the level you settle for. You're not living today on the level of your potential. Today you are living on the level you have settled for. <sighs> Exhaustion, frustration. I, I, got, I got, just recently, I got so exhausted and so frustrated with like where I was. I was, I was, I was exhausted. I was, I was constantly tired and it wasn't because of the fast. As a matter of fact, these past two weeks have been two of the most fulfilling weeks of my life. I got I to gotta admit, and I usually don't talk about it, but I did good on this one. I crushed this one. I don't know what's going to happen next year. I crushed this one. So I, I, it's not, it, but it was, it was late December. I was, I was constantly finding myself tired. I was, I was exhausted. I was frustrated. And, and little things, little things would just get to me, and I just, I, I wanted I wanted to fight constantly. And I saw like in everything anybody said that was any sort of corrective or criticism, I saw it as a, a slight or just, you know, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> Took it personal. I got my feelings hurt. And I realized something about exhaustion and frustration. Exhaustion and frustration is a letter from your future to your present that your current level of knowledge will not get you there. And when I realized that, this, this hunger in me started to develop because what I realized is the exhaustion and the frustration that I feel is my future telling me you're not smart enough to go where. And that frustration is that part of me that doesn't want to dig in, learn more, go back to school. Ah, some of us, we're too good. You're like, you're like I'm too old for this. I, I'm, I'm too smart for this. I've learned too many lessons. I know all there is to know about this. I've got a PhD on relationships. I've got a PhD in life experience. And God is trying to speak a new word to you. And God is trying to take you to another level. But your future is telling you your current level of knowledge will not get you here. That's why you're frustrated. That's why you're angry. That's why your temper is short. Because your future is telling your presence you don't know enough. And that frustration that sets in when you know, I don't know enough, but you don't want to do the work. We want an easy solution. We live in a fast food culture, in a microwave culture that wants a hot pocket to taste like a filet mignon. And it's just not ever going to happen. For the rest of eternity, the outside of the hot pocket will be cold and the inside of the hot pocket will burn your internal organs. You have to just understand that. And that's the way anything fast in your life is. Remember, I told you faith is not just about believing God for big things. Faith is about believing God for a long time. Because it takes a minute for God to prepare for you what he's trying to prepare for you. And it takes him even longer sometimes to prepare you for what he's prepared for you. So their nets broke. If you had known the things that make for your peace. 
he said. And the Bible says he wept there. 1 Corinthians 8 and 2 says, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. That's a life verse right there. Whenever I think I'm smart, I actually am not. <laughs> hmm. Let me give you two things. I'll let you go in the next couple of minutes. Excuses and comparison are hurting you and harming your fruitfulness. There are people that the enemy doesn't even have to fight because they fight themselves. Here, here's what happens when you start to make excuses. I don't have time. It's like, man, I really need to get in God's word. I really need to pray. I need, to, I need a deeper level of understanding because God is trying to take me into something in my future that my current level of, of intelligence is not ready for. And then we start to make, I don't have time for that. I can't do that. You know, I'm too old to go back to school. I'm too old to go to that class. I'm too old to sit down and get counseling. I'm too old for all, I'm too old for all of that. I don't have the time for that. Here's what happens when you start to make excuses. When you make excuses, it means that you are not interested in growing. And the moment you insulate yourself with excuses, you have decided to be your own worst enemy. Comparison. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. I'll never forget, one of my kids came home and they, they had failed uh, a quiz. And I think they made like a 58. So, so the grade scale for failing is, is some places it's 0 to 65, some places it's anything less than 70, 69 or below. That's, a, that's an F. I think they had a 58, and they brought me the, the, the quiz home, and they said, Hey, Dad, I know I failed, but like six other kids in my class made a worse grade than me. There was like a 38. There was like a 28. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you line up all the people who failed, you might be ahead of somebody, but you still failed. Just because someone is standing behind you does not mean you passed. And a lot of us have settled in the land of at least I'm not. That's why comparison is killing you. It's not just about comparing yourselves to those people you want to be. The worst thing that you can do really actually is not compare yourself with someone who you want to be. Because sometimes that jealousy is not, doesn't, it turns into an ambition or a drive to push you to that place. But if you settle for the land of F thinking I'm good because I made a 58 and not a 38. Still, still an F. <laughs> oh. someone said this to me one time they said Robbie champions are so determined to rise that even that they don't even realize when they've crossed the finish line I was watching a football game recently and this guy broke away and he turned around to look at who was behind him and he tripped over himself a professional athlete doesn't a professional athlete can't even turn and look 
<laughs> Man. Be careful when you find consolation in the fact that someone is doing worse than you. I came to tell somebody, yeah, I know you're a pro. But God's better. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you today. Thank you. That, this is what I love about your word, is your word never allows me to get too comfortable with where I am. I thank you that you take me from strength to strength, from glory to glory, that you are, you are rising me to, to new levels, and you are pushing me forward into something better than what I'm currently experiencing. Even for the people in this room today who are experiencing the best that life has ever given them, you have more. And if there's someone in here who has settled for a 58 just because it's not a 38, I came to challenge them as well and tell them that there is, there is, there is a revelation that God wants you to live on that's higher than the level of your education. Are you hungry? Are you hungry enough? Are you willing enough? Will you obey God's word? Isaiah said it's the willing and the obedient that eat the good of the land. Yeah, yeah, you could be disobedient and unwilling and still eat. But I'm not, I'm not satisfied with just eating. I want to eat the good of the land. So help me to realize that faith is not just a construct. It's not just an idea. It's an action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, Calvary. Can we stand on our feet today? I'm already excited about next week. I'm already excited. But I want you to take some time with this this week and just... Go over these notes. Maybe if you get a chance, go online and listen again. I, one thing I love about our church is we don't sell tapes and CDs. We, we, all of our messages are free. We don't sell that stuff. Uh, freely we've been given, freely, you know, freely we receive, freely we give. That's how, that's how it works for us in, in that. So I just, I, I am believing that this is going to be the greatest year of fruitfulness and multiplication in our lives. I, I, I just sense that, that God would like nothing more than to prosper you in a year when inflation is where it's at, mortgage rates are where they're at, the price of eggs and milk. I, would, I think God would like nothing more than to be like, I know what the world says and I know what the world looks like, but look at my people. How many, how many people in the room just want to throw your hands in the air and say, God, I want to receive everything you have. So help me go deeper in my knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you. God bless you. We'll see you soon.